And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Thursday, February 9th at 4.17 p.m. Pacific Time. The trade deadline has passed. TV for the day is over. Five hours of TV. The calls are flying in. The texts are flying in. And it's time for an annual tradition where we just go, man. We just go. You only have so much time to think about all these deals. Bobby Marks, how are you? I'm good. I am uh, not. I'm not going to say I'm well rested because I'm not well rested. (laughs) But I'm good. I was just sitting on it doing a segment somewhere. And I felt like I was sitting in quicksand here because... um, I am running on fumes, but we're good. Let's get ready to rock and roll here. The West got better, man. The West got better. We have to start with the end of the greatest theoretical team in the history of the NBA and what will go down as the greatest failure of star talent in the history of the NBA. The Brooklyn Nets giving up, surrendering, and trading Kevin Durant to the Phoenix Suns a few days after trading Kyrie Irving to the Dallas Mavericks for Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, four first-round picks. Are they all unprotected, Bobby? I haven't even checked. Yes. Four unprotected first-round picks. They all have to be, I guess. And swaps in between pretty much the most the Suns could give up. The Nets have never really loved Aiton, and I actually think the Suns did well to keep Aiton. I think he fits well with this team. Um, I, I, I am reminded of a quote that I will think about all the time from a front office person, unaffiliated, with in the wee hours after the Clippers got Kawhi and Paul George. And I was asking people, what do you think of the trade? What do you think of the trade? And this person said to me, I think it is simultaneously a trade the Clippers had to make and a trade that has the chance to go down as one of the worst trades in the history of the NBA. I don't quite feel that extreme about this because Kevin Durant is Kevin freaking Durant. When he was healthy this season, I think he was the best player in the NBA right there with Jokic, right there with Giannis, right there with any of them. He is the most malleable, fittable superstar in the history of the NBA. A walking 50-40-90 7-footer elite defense, the whole deal. There is, uh, by definition, less risk trading for a player of that nature than for any other kind of superstar. However, in all the exuberance, I, I found myself a little more nervous for the Suns than most people were. And what before passing the baton, I will say this. Championship or bust is an inherently unfair standard to which to hold a team. Because there is so much luck and so much health luck and health variation that goes into winning four playoff series in any given year. However, the Suns in trading everything for a 34-year-old who has suffered essentially the same exact knee injury three times, along with the Achilles injury and other stuff, and pairing him with a 37-year-old who is very clearly in decline, although he's been playing better lately, that's Chris Paul, and of course a prime-age superstar in Devin Booker, you are not just, you, you are introducing health as a variable that is 
perhaps more likely to affect your superstar core than the average superstar core. Chris Paul gets hurt in the playoffs every year like clockwork as it is. And when you trade this much, you look at the history of superstar trades, all of them. We all get very excited about them. They seldom work out well for the team that trades everything for the superstar. When they do work out well, Anthony Davis, you win the championship. Drew Holiday, obviously a tier below this, but a a pretty penny was paid for Drew Holiday. Win the championship. When you do this for these guys, I think it's essentially championship or bust for the Suns in the next two years. And that feels like an unfair standard foisted upon them by talking heads like me and you. I guarantee you, if they don't win the championship, and we fast forward three years and Chris Paul's 40 and out of the league and Kevin Durant's 37 and they've got to figure out life and the picks are looking dangerous, they will view it as a bust if they don't win the championship. The downside risk here is enormous. The picks the Nets got from Phoenix could be potentially really, really valuable. And I guess where I will end is to make a trade like this I think you have to be the clear favorites to win the title. I'm not sure the Suns are the clear favorites to win the title. I think they're in the the, the grouping with lots of other teams, and maybe they are the best team. So this trade makes me nervous. All that said, I'm excited as all hell to watch the three greatest mid-range shooters or three of them all time, three of the greatest crunch time players of all time play together because you ain't stopping that. You ain't stopping that. You know what's unique about this trade is that this is a trade that Phoenix wouldn't have made in in July and that Brooklyn wouldn't have accepted in July. Right? That this is what unique is about. I is don't even remember July, man. Well, because Mikhail Bridges wasn't even involved in, you know, the when when Phoenix was kind of dipping her toe in the, in the, in the deep end here and, and and Brooklyn looked at him as a good player but not a you know, not as that kind of that that all-star franchise level player that you try to get back when you're swapping out. Um, you're swapping out. What what I'll also say is that, and I truly believe this, is that if Robert Sarver still owned a team, this trade does not happen. I was hoping we'd get out of this this podcast without mentioning the S word. <laughs> well, I have to because I believe that if he was still there, th- it would not have happened as far as the all-in type approach, the aggressiveness here. Um yeah, I mean, as you said, everything comes with risks. Four ones, you've get you, Booker hasn't even started a super max yet. You still have eight and with three. I mean, you know, but you man, you better be you have to be healthy. I mean, here's a roster that with Durant and Booker this year and Chris Paul, who's getting an age, and now it is up to James Jones, not this year, but in a foreseeable future, building this thing out. And um, but I I mean. It's a work. If you're going to do it, you got to go all in for it. I mean, it's he's the top five player in all in, in the NBA. He's a year. top 12 player in the history of the NBA. Yeah. So, so I guess here's what I'm saying. Um, I think if you played out this Suns team in many multiverses, um, I think more often, if you played out the next like five years of Suns history, I think more often than not, they would not win a title and feel some pain on the back end, but not regret. 
And I think that's where the power of Kevin Durant comes in. This is a swing. There are some swings where if you miss, you'll be like, man, we knew going in. Like, it's because this is Kevin Durant. If this ends up being a swing and a miss, it's going to hurt. But I, it's Kevin Durant. Here's the starting five for the Suns. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, probably Torrey Craig, and DeAndre Ayton. That's an awesome lineup. They're thin, but I think they're maybe a little less thin than people think. They got TJ Warren. We haven't mentioned him. Now, he's, you know, his minutes have oscillated, but he's been very productive when he plays. The Suns fans know him well. Campaign's been hurt most of the year. He'll come back. Shamit is still here. And people who aren't watching the Suns, like, they're getting good minutes from Damian Lee and Josh Akogi and Bismack Biombo, And, like, they're going to cobble together and they'll get a buyout guy. Like, I think the bench will be okay. And the best thing about getting a big three, if they play their cards right, it, it, and this Chris Paul is still a member of a big three. When the chips are down and the games matter, two of those guys are going to be on the floor at all times. And that's even leaving aside Aiton, who I think has become underrated. Um, I think that relationship between Aiton and some of the power brokers on the team is still a little frayed and, and needs to get better fast because you can't have a lot of fraying and win four playoff series. But I think Aiton's really good. I, I think they'll have enough of a bench to be fine, but I I can't sit here and I feel like they're they're guaranteed to be the elite favorite in the West. I think I probably would pick them as a slight favorite, but Denver is awesome and got better today. And they're getting beat up today, Denver, for not doing enough. And they only got two seconds for bones. But I think Thomas Bryant's a, a really good player for them. And they're betting on continuity. They're betting on continuity in a, in a conference that's otherwise betting on change. Um, you know, and we'll talk about the Clippers later and the Warriors later. I think this team's going to be awesome. Um, I still worry about the downside. I think it's less of a home run. I, I shouldn't say that because it's Kevin Durant. I just, I feel like everyone always underestimates the downside and overestimates the likelihood that you're actually going to get the payoff that you think you're going to get. Well, and I think too, like with, with Durant, when you watched him this year before the injury in Miami, you, you the more you watch and, and I mean, and you think to yourself like, man, Brooklyn can't trade this guy. You know, this guy, th- he is a rare breed. Like a guy, a player like that does not come around very often here. And, I think the big thing for me is that you know, we always equate the, um, the the trade deadline or the all-star break as kind of the halfway point. I mean, we're at like, what, what do we got? Like 25, 26 games for some of these teams? That's why Bontem said this on TV and I almost lost my mind. He's like, the Nets are probably going to make the playoffs. And I was like, I've thought about the Nets as like a conceptual conglomeration and like a, 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 a star that turned into a black hole. I haven't thought about them. I mean, I, I've got their rotation written down here. I've, I've got Mills, uh, Sumner, Dinwiddie, O'Neal. I've got all the names written down. Crowder became five seconds. You don't want an Dorian Finney-Smith. I have it right here. Not, not for one second that I think they may just back their way into the playoffs. Well, I think they got a 10-game cushion or something like no, that. They got like right? four. they got like four games on uh... – on on the Knicks, I think for seven. What about out of? Uh, I mean, out of ten. I mean, out of the out of the top ten. I meant out of like just falling completely out of it. Like you're you've got a, you built yourself like a nice little cushion behind. Who's in there? Is it the Wizards are in ten right now, or or Chicago? One of those two teams. I don't know, and I'm not going to check right now. <laughs> um, um, 
Yeah, well, I don't know what you were saying, Bobby. My my mind is is uh, exploding here. The net, and by the way, the Nets. Look, here's the asset flow, and it's depressing. It's depressing. All their young players and picks become Harden. Harden becomes Simmons and two first round picks. Simmons being a black hole and a disaster is the biggest problem the Nets have right now. And like the fact that Harden has turned into like a couple of nice first round picks, if that, and not Simmons. Simmons is a zero. Simmons is just a zero right now. I'm sorry. Kyrie, they got with cap space. So that's like an opportunity cost thing. Now is Finney Smith, Dinwiddie in a pick in a second. Durant becomes everything we just talked about with the five seconds. I think they've actually done well. Like, they're net plus a lot of picks. They all owe those picks to Houston. Houston controls their four drafts from 24 to 27. And that could, you know, that mitigates against them tanking because they're going to send all those picks. But they're net plus picks. They have some good players. And they're going to try to make this work one way or another. But there's just no denying that it, it's a disaster to have these three guys together for 16 games, win one playoff series one and have it all go up and smoke like this. And I will tell you this, man, you can sit here and blame. You can blame lots of people, I guess, you know, the nets for handing over their culture and handing over the keys to the superstars. And maybe that falls on Sean Marks or Joe Sire or whoever. If Kyrie gets vaccinated before last season, I think they're like the overwhelming championship favorites and Harden doesn't dip out and, and everything is, copacetic and but 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 with Kyrie the record shows like if it's not that it's going to be something and it's just it's just a mess but they recouped they recouped some good some good value here and I forgot what I was going to say about the Suns except um offensively they're going to be awesome and Aiton is going to anchor the defense with Durant and they might have a rebounding problem a little bit but it's very exciting man it's exciting it's exciting trade well, I mean, especially that. I mean, you saw it uh, on 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 Thursday, like like Dallas got it started on Sunday, Phoenix on uh, Wednesday night, and then all of a sudden, then whether it be New Orleans or Memphis or you know, certainly uh, Denver made a couple tweaks here. The Lakers, I mean, they're not in that equation, you know, that in the conversation as as these teams here, but everybody in the East in the Western Conference started to add to their roster. You're not going to get a you know, a, unless it was OG and an OB going out West, you're not going to got a guy, you know, um, Josh Richardson is not the guy to defend Kevin Garnett. You know, that's the reality of it. But you did see a, a little bit of a shift on Thursday as far as teams starting to add. And I think, you know, just kind of circling back to Brooklyn, like, did it, I don't want to say, was it a failure? Yeah, based on, what we 13 and three, 18 and two God, in that they, stretch they, this they, past they year. They were incredible when they had Harden and Kyrie and Durant. Well, they even, were incredible. even, and even this year, I know a lot of the teams were either they played against were either injured and, um, you know, nah, they, man, they got you, them on a back to back. You don't chance your way into 18 and two in the NBA. No, you don't. And Durant gets hurt in Miami. Kyrie basically carries them in Utah and Golden State. In in the in that I think it was that in that Nick game at home, and then all of a sudden, like I'm doing my part, you know, I want my you know I want my extension and everything, and 
I mean, you pivoted and you got the draft picks and you saved a hundred million dollars. And now we're back to basically the 2018, 19 roster. I mean, that's how, you know, the 43 fun win team that is going to take a little bit and you've got flexibility, but man, what you had and what you don't have now is, you know, nobody, I don't know who goes through something like that within a, you know, an 18 month period. And this front office, look, Sean Marks and his crew, they've proven they can rebuild from nothing, from less than nothing. And they don't have less than nothing now. They got they got something. A couple of things on that before we go back to the Suns. I will believe also to my proverbial grave that if they had their druthers in 2019 free agency, they would have taken Durant alone. I don't think they ever wanted I, – I, Wanted is a strong term. They obviously respect the talent of Kyrie Irving. If they had their choice of scenarios, I think it would have just been, let's add Durant to this nice team we've been building up and figure it out from there. Once they got Harden, I, I will believe this too. I think my the best iteration of their, all the iterations of their team was getting Harden and then trading Kyrie for depth and picks and just going KD, Harden, let's go deep around them. And obviously we never got to see any of that play out by the way do you remember you may not remember the uh conspiracy theory that i floated mostly almost entirely jokingly to howard beck on this podcast about six or eight months ago i don't remember that so this is my matchstick men con artist movie conspiracy theory that i have said anyone listening to this who has any inkling that it's true or was involved in it please in 20 years call me and let me write the book on it the conspiracy theory is, you so you know Houston and Philly are interconnected organizations. I mean, just top to bottom, interconnected, still so so close. Harden clearly loves the Rockets and the Rockets organization. The conspiracy theory, Bobby, is that the Sixers, James Harden, and the Houston Rockets identified the Brooklyn Nets as a middleman, as a hapless, witless victim that they could use to... Um, get Harden where he wanted to go, which was Philadelphia, but on the way, destabilize the Nets so that the picks the Rockets got back would increase in value. And I'm telling you, man, with every passing day and every passing event in the NBA, I'm like, I'm starting to believe my own lunacy with this. <laughs> it's the NBA script, right? Everything's kind of de- like the, uh, the the conspiracy in the NFL. That's it, and hey, I know what people are going to say. You couldn't script. <laughs> you couldn't script the pandemic and the vaccination thing, and that's really what did it. I'm like, you know, it's always something with Kyrie. That's all I'm saying. I just <sighs> let's talk more about the Suns. Team's gonna be good. Um, Durant is. Let's talk about Durant. Um, you know, we got into this argument on the show today about Durant's legacy and whether he needs a title in Phoenix or Phoenix to be his team um, to burnish his legacy. And I just, I, on the one hand, I reject all that because Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. We all know what this dude is. We all know. And um, on the other hand, you know, I do think a lot about the what if of 2016 free agency and if he had to do it over again, because, and I think there's, there's justification to this. No one is ever going to look at those two warriors championships as hard earned 
championships, even though they all, that's not to say nobody, they didn't work hard and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the deck was so stacked in their favor that no one, people want to see stars in adversity and they did not face much adversity. Although they did have a seven game series in the second one against the Rockets. They're never going to hold those titles as equal to Dirk in 2011, Steph last season, uh, pick one, whatever one you like. Uh, and, and I think there's something fair about that. And I think about that. What if in 2016, Oklahoma City, Boston, Washington couldn't even get a meeting, but that would have been a fun story. I don't know that this is his chance to sort of find that perfect title because it can never really be your team when you walk in last, even if you're the best player on the team, which he is by a lot. Um, but I, I do think there's he'll always be Kevin Durant to me and the talent is the talent. I do think that every NBA story is in search of the best ending. And I think a title in Phoenix would be the closest thing that there is for Durant to have the best ending. Yeah. And I think this is probably, I mean, I know Devin Booker and Chris Paul have been there and Deandre Ayton, but this is probably, I would say this is more of his team. He hasn't even played a game than it probably was in Brooklyn. Right. I mean, like, like Brooklyn, he basically went there with Kyrie. He missed the first season. Basically, Kyrie established his roots as the guy, not the most talented of the two, but the guy the first year here. And I look at Durant as kind of being like, like, like this is his Phoenix team right now. And he hasn't even played a game yet. They're going to be so awesome to watch because offensively, the pick and roll combinations, you know, Chris Paul and KD can't switch it. Devin Booker and KD can't switch it. You have three of the greatest crunch time mid-range assassins the league has ever seen and Aiton to anchor it. And I think there will be enough depth there. It's going to be a dogfight in the West between them and the Nuggets and some other teams we're going to talk about soon. Um, I'm trying to think if I'm out of Suns, Nets. Well, here, I mean, here's a... um what's what's going to be interesting too is just the ownership change where you have a you basically went baptism by fire right now right here's your 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 crash course on owning a team basically two days in for matt um ishbia right ishbia what is the the equivalent of this if i like buy a car is it is it driving like 120 miles an hour down my neighborhood street? Is it go getting is it getting flames on the side of it? Like, is there a real life equivalent to what these new NBA owners do? And they're just like, yeah, let's make a splash splash. Well, I, I think like I mean, it's basically doing wind sprints up and down the street. <laughs> I mean, that's what it's like doing. Anyway, please continue I mean, the new owner thing. No, I mean, I just I just think this was like. You know, it, it's almost like when, you know, when Prokhorov came in, in 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 Brooklyn here is that you 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 see something you want and you will go out and get that. And there's not a price associated with within the rules here. And sometimes it fails. Sometimes it works out. And we'll you know, this is it's an it's just based on him st- owning this team or, you know, getting permission, whatever it was two days ago. Um, this is his big splash. And he had his. You know, he had both you know feet in the in in the deep end on this. He wasn't just a bystander. He was he was involved in this. Oh, very involved. Um, very, very involved. Let's just revisit the timeline of events for the Nets. So they trade Kyrie to Dallas after he demands a trade, and they get what they get for him, which was pretty good. That trade was clearly designed with the aim of keeping Kevin Durant in Brooklyn. 
And that's what you have to do. It's Kevin Durant. He's good enough that if you can give him a give him another talented player via the trade deadline, give him a, another talented player in the summer. And I think they told him, hey, man, in the summer, like, we could get some big names. There are going to be some big names that might ask out in the summer. And we're going to collect stuff to give ourselves a shot at it. And I'm not going to name who those names are. Um, but I think that's a conversation that was had. They tried to get Pascal Siakam now in the intervening 96 hours because KD made it known he likes Pascal Siakam. He thought it'd be a good fit. I, I think that that's perfectly fine. It, it it And then the tides changed and they did the best they could. The NBA isn't always clean like this. You don't get to order the transactions exactly the way you want them. And the Nets come out with a bunch of first round picks and a bunch of good players and they'll just have to figure it out going forward. And I mean, undeniably, they certainly didn't envision winning one playoff series in four years. Uh, but but here we are, and there's nothing to do but put one foot in front of the other. No, I mean, life goes on, right? I mean, they're, as I said, 25 games, and they've got to, I mean, here's a crazy thing, too. You know, like, that bounty of draft picks probably could have increased if they, if and, and they didn't, if they wanted to put Mikhail Bridges on the market. You know, when Bobby, you look at... Bobby, they were offered... I, I know of one team... And I'm, I've, I've confirmed this. I'm, I'm, I know of one team that offered them four first round picks for Mikhail yeah. Bridges for a guy who's never made the All Star game, is and is a good, one of the better defenders. Doesn't miss games. No, no, no. Player. I know of at least three first round picks. I think the fourth one may have had some protections or something, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a thing. And that, so that's your kind of your your blue chip guy. But but for me, it's like, would you rather have the picks or Mikhail Bridges? And I think. First of all, as you mentioned before, like Houston owns all those picks, right? 24, 26, pick swaps, right? 23, 25, 27. There's no incentive to bottom out here. There is none to go in and trade Bridges and Johnson and basically just have a skeleton crew and get the top three pick year after year. There is no incentive. Like eventually you're going to have to put a baseline of guys that compete, can win you 43, 44 games here. Um, but, but the bridges component added another layer here because Brooklyn could have eventually walked out of the week, the, the, the week of trade deadline week when, when, what nine unprotected first. I that's, I mean, that's, that's amazing. You know what though? Mikhail bridges is awesome. He's on an awesome contract. He's an awesome guy. Nets fans are going to love him. I, I get just being like, you know what? We just did a lot of stuff. We said a lot of stuff. Let's just like, have yeah. some good players. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them, you name it. 
They won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Okay, let's transition out of this deal because I don't think I have anything left to say about it. Um, the Lakers, team number two on our list, uh, made I think three separate trades in in the last two two days, headlined by um, their three team trade with Minnesota and Utah. So, and this is of course after the Hachimura trade. So let's review. In to the Lakers comes D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt. Mo Bamba, and Devon Reed. Out go Russell Westbrook, whoops, Patrick Beverly, some stuff, and a top four protected first-round pick in 2027. They traded one of the picks. Not both, just one. And very importantly, as I reported last night, if that pick is in the top four, it immediately converts to a second-round pick going to Utah. There is no extended protection. They did not encumber any other trades. So they took a half measure, and I've been saying all year, I almost wonder if the half measure is is almost the worst thing they can do. So you trade one pick, you make yourself feel better because you got a little bit better, you didn't trade both picks, but what have you actually accomplished other than lighting a pretty good pick on fire? Um, their new starting five will be D'Lo, Probably, I'm guessing D'Lo, somebody, LeBron, Rui, and AD probably. And the somebody could be lots and lots of people. It could be Austin Reeves. It could be Troy Brown Jr. It could be, you know, pick somebody. could be even Malik Beasley, Beasley, although I like him kind of better just coming up and coming off the bench and wrecking. Um, And I'm here to say in in the light of day, despite my half measure worries, I kind of think this is fine for the Lakers. Even if the only thing it does is make LeBron less likely to agitate for a new team over the summer, we can finally do that again. I don't really think this changes their life that much as a team. Um, they're they're very far behind, even even like seventh or eighth right now. They're like two behind tenth and four behind those those spots. So it's 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 an uphill climb just to get home court in the play in if they can even get there defensively. You know, they get Jared, they got Jared Vanderbilt. If I didn't say Jared Vanderbilt, I'm sorry. He's a really interesting piece, and whether he can play with AD or not is is something that I think will be will be something to monitor because that's the best way to beef up their defense. It comes at the cost of shooting. And I know Jared Vanderbilt shoots a corner three every game, but no one's guarding him there. Um I just look at this and it's it's to me, I I can't get excited about it. It's just it's just kind of fine. To me, it's fine, and I just don't think it really makes that much of a difference. Well, here, here it goes. It goes back to how many games are left in the season, and you got you know LeBron didn't play Thursday, uh, Thursday night against Milwaukee. I feel like every time AD falls down, I don't know if he's going to get back up here. And as you said, like you got to make up ground. Like so, you finish nine or ten, you got to win two games to get in, and then you're going to be faced with probably Phoenix or Denver in the first round. I mean, good luck with that there. But so did they improve their roster? They did. They went, they basically, they took a, a, an approach where you're staring at this offseason here. You've got whatever, $34 million in room. 
what does $34 million in room get us when you, where you have Anthony Davis and LeBron James making 90 million plus. And you basically took that and you broke it up into Rui Hachimura a couple weeks ago. Uh, we'll see what happens with Russell. Who's a free agent. I don't, I mean, people were talking about extensions with him. Like I know he's eligible for two well, for 67. Like, but why? Who are you bidding against? To, to me, one of the values of this deal for the Lakers is that he's a free agent. Malik Beasley yeah. has a team option, so I can wash my hands of him if need be. And Vanderbilt only makes like 4.7 next year. That's a value contract. People will love to have him. Yeah. If, if the Lakers want cap space, they can still get to 30 plus million in cap space. I'm not extending D'Angelo Russell even for two years if 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 the downside is swallowing up my cap space. No, that's that's I mean, I don't I, I, if I'm the Lakers, I'm like saying, let's play this out and stuff and, and let's see what the market is going to be. But but you get all these and then you get Mo Bamba, who's got a non-guaranteed contract for next year. That's right. He's got nine. You can just wipe that away uh, if you want. Say, if Devon, you want Devon, Devon Reed too, right um, from Denver. Uh, he's got a non-guaranteed contract. So there's all there's I kind of look at it more for next year. Like you can either bring back eight or nine of these players um, you know, including LeBron and AD, or you pivot and kind of go the cap space direction. Do you go with signing trades? You got get a lot of more flexibility than you did before here, but it, it helps. But as you said, as I said, like, I mean, we're 25, 26 games left in a season here and you, you just lost at Oklahoma city. You might go on a little bit of a tailspin. LeBron, you know, looked out of gas at the end of that, um, out of, out of the, you know, the Oklahoma he's city out game tonight here. against so, Milwaukee. Yeah. And he's out tonight. And and so every game is no... precious now. Like LeBron out tonight against Milwaukee is not something you just like shrug off. Like if they lose tonight, every every loss is like another another brick you got to move. Yeah, I mean the only I mean maybe they get in by default. Maybe we you know Utah continues to, you know, if they lose a bunch of games and Portland, you know, made the Josh Hart trade and you know, they get bring back Cam Reddish. Um so maybe you get they get in default as the number 10 seed when their games are supposed to. And um, now you're, as I said, you're kind of staring at winning two games and just getting in to be the number eight. Seed. Well, that's what they have going for them. The thunder traded Mike Muscala to Boston, which is like a sneaky. I don't want to say tank move. Wendy said that on TV. I don't think Mike Muscala is good enough or plays enough minutes to qualify as a tank uh, casualty, but they have always been very good when they play Mike Muscala, particularly with SGA and those minutes are going to go to players who are worse than Mike Muscala, even if it's, only, if it's only 15, 16, 17 a game. I think that trade signals that the Thunder are okay if they don't finish in the top 10 this year. And in fact, okay if they slide back just a little bit in the Wemby sweepstakes. The Blazers we'll talk about later. Uh, some might argue they stood pat. Some might argue they are, uh, operated as sellers, whatever. And Utah obviously um, sold a bunch of things. So that's what the Lakers have going for them. And that's fine. If all this does is placate LeBron, it's fine. I just don't think this turns them into like a contender or someone that the best teams are are super scared of. Um, it does get them out of the rust thing, which was going to go down as an all-time disaster. I don't know about you, Bobby. I hear these reports about the Clippers being interested in Russ. And I haven't been able to confirm that interest myself. Um, and I and I think someone said on TV, Paul George, because of their relationship from OKC, is agitating for him. Man, if I'm, if I'm the Clippers, I am steering in the complete opposite direction of that iceberg because I just think 
he's just a bad fit. He just plays this like helter skelter, crazy turnover, can't shoot. I just I don't want I don't want it. I, even Miami, which has been rumored for a year, it's like they're already deficient on shooting with Butler's uh, just not a high volume three point shooter. Bam and on and on. Like my. I, I just don't I don't see it, man. Like it it I don't see it. The only team I could think of when I and I said it on TV um earlier would be Chicago. And basically the Billy Donovan factor, he had him in OKC. This team is like, I mean, they're just to, like to what end? Just to cause havoc. To your own just team. To, just to see if he if a fuse can be lit under this group. But that's really it. I mean, I don't see. I mean, I think what what could happen is, is that you know I, they might just you know he's going to probably go sent home and he won't you know you probably don't do a buyout and you become an unrestricted free agent and you you kind of go into you know you go into the summer that way. <sighs> we should uh, there. There's probably more stuff we should talk about about the Lakers. Um, I you know, I one of the reasons I think it's a good trade for them is you mentioned we're two thirds of the way through the season. But just dumping Russ was going to cost them a pick. So to get actual now, now that it, you're only dumping Russ again for a third of the season, so the finances aren't the same. But to get real talent, and these guys are like Beasley is good, and they're begging for an elite shooter on this team. D, let's talk about the Wolves and D'Lo actually, and, yeah. and the Wolves pivoting to Mike Conley as part of this three-team trade. This should send this trade to me sends a very clear message that. There is something that Minnesota Timberwolves and other teams do not like about D'Angelo Russell. That it could be defense, it could be chemistry, it could be something that we don't even know about. But this guy is having, by far, the most efficient offensive season of his life. Shooting the absolute crap out of it. Is a free agent after the season. Whatever you want to make of that. And they were like, yeah, no, we're good. Like we're gonna, we're, we want Mike Conley. Um, we want Mike Conley, who's old and uh, doesn't align with our timetable at all. Is like anti-aligning with our timetable, um, and we just want you to go away. And we want Mike Conley because he has one year left on his contract after this one. We can then wash our hands of him. Anthony Edwards, Max Steele, inevitably, inevitable Max Steele will kick in as Conley's deal comes off. We don't have to worry about paying D'Angelo Russell. We don't even want to negotiate anymore with D'Angelo Russell. This is like a red flag thing for me about, about D'Angelo Russell. Mike Conley's been good. He's actually averaging, do you know, he's averaging a career high in assists. I didn't know. Yeah. Well, it was like seven, yeah. seven around there. So yep. can still shoot it pretty well. Has lost some burst as one does defensively has gone from one of the better point guard defenders to a liability. I think it's, he's not really going to lift up their defense uh, relative to Russell, maybe a little bit because he's just dialed in and tries really hard. Um, and he can throw lobs to go bear and get them organized and all of that. I just, it's to me, I, I think Minnesota's probably about as good. Maybe I, I guess if you believe in the organizing thing and the chemistry thing, maybe a, a little better and, you could see the frustration in games of D'Angelo just didn't like passing to Gobert and like got frustrated when Gobert would drop the ball and stuff. I don't know. I I can't get excited about that trade for Minnesota though. It doesn't really excite me, especially the member of the fanfare. The fanfare. Oh, when he when they made when they made the trade with Golden State. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'll never forget oh, Gerson Rosas at the press conference saying we looked at other point guards but we didn't trade him because this is a point guard we wanted. Like oh, this really. The 
you're that excited? And now it's like, please go away. We just want Mike Conley. Just give us Mike. Mike Conley is like a nice, a nice glass of milk. Just like old, reliable Mike Conley. Just give, just give us some glass of milk. You know what the red flag for me is that when was the last time you saw a team like Minnesota who doesn't who doesn't have their first round pick and is owned by a Utah team you just made a, a trade with to acquire their point guard? I mean, that's like, I mean, and I understand like, you know, getting Conley back, who's got, you know, partial guarantee next year, uh, not want to pay, um, not want to pay, you know, uh, Russell here, but that, that in itself sends a, that you're willing to get out of that, out of him and, and do a, a deal with a team that basically can kind of controls, you know, controls that pick um, in, in Utah. That race, because I mean, they need, they need to make the playoffs. The Wolves, obviously, owing that pick to Utah, need to be in the playoffs. They're eighth right now at 30 and 28. The Pelicans are 29 and 27, so they're tied. Clippers, 31 and 27, upgraded. Suns, 30 and 26, kind of upgraded. Dallas, 30 and 26, did something. Um, prop, I, Whatever. They didn't get appreciably worse at the very least. Um, got more dynamic, we'll say. Let's be polite. Um, Minnesota's, <laughs> Minnesota's 13 and 7, I think, in its last 20 games has actually been playing pretty well. Absolutely has got to make the playoffs. That race between those teams and the Warriors below, right below the, the Wolves is going to be um, super intense. But the other thing is, man, like they're getting older by the trade. Like Vanderbilt's 23, Beasley's 26. And I understand these guys are ultimately kind of fungible role players in the NBA. But they just get like older and older and older, and but Ant's gonna be a star. Cat's gonna come back. Cat's kind of like it's kind of a big moment for Carl Anthony Towns coming up because the team has stabilized somewhat without him. Gobert's gotten a little bit of a rhythm defensively without him. They've done well with slow mo at the power forward. It things just kind of the. What what I said when Cat got hurt was like the good thing they have going for them is they can just pivot into an identity that makes sense with Rudy at the five and four perimeter oriented guys around him. It's a big moment for Cat coming up right now. I mean, it's a big moment for him. I mean, it's a big moment when Zion gets back here. I mean, for for Minnesota, it's you're right. I mean, like it's kind of like they cultivated around Edwards. I feel like it's more his team based on you know how he's played. And I think Rudy's kind of found his footing. Um, now you're going to, you know, now everyone shifts. Now he uh, Towns goes to the four. Um, you know, now do we see more Nasri? Do we see less of Nasri? Torian Prince, Kyle Anderson, the guys like that here. And, um, you know, getting in, I mean, where they are right now playing. I mean, I mean, for them, it's, it's getting into that top, try to get into that top six. Um. Uh, any other Lakers thoughts? They traded Thomas Bryant. That was interesting. I think Thomas Bryant, Ramona reported he wanted out of there. That's correct. Um, it's a good deal for Denver. It's a very good deal for Denver. It's a very good deal for Denver. It's it's sort of Zeke Naji DJ insurance and a guy who can really shoot it. Um, not much more to talk about with Denver. Let's talk about the Warriors. Um, yeah. Traded effectively traded James Wiseman um, for Gary Payton II with also five second-round picks going to Portland in that deal. And we, we can talk about Portland in conjunction with that. Um, Wiseman, 
has a chance to go down as I don't I wouldn't say the Darko Milicic of this era for the Warriors because the, the there's if you look at that draft before Halliburton there isn't that much pain and regret uh, other than Ball who's in, Ball who's in and the Hall, Con- what about all well, the old Condi draft Ooh. I mean maybe he was number one though. Um, he, he was number one though, but I think, I think if you look at that draft, it's really LaMelo at three and then all the way down yeah. to Halliburton at 12 when you really feel some pain. Um, but they, they get GP two, which is, is interesting on a number of levels. Like he helps, he knows their system. He can be a lob threat when, when they have the, the splash brothers out there. We all saw that. We know that he was a valuable part of their finals teams. They also have a lot of guards, man. Steph clay still mostly a guard pool DiVincenzo. GP two, I I this this fills a need of like just another good player, and and Wiseman was not going to play for this team this year, but I understand why Warriors fans may look at this and, and they love GP two, so maybe they're just excited for the reunion. Um, I know the Warriors were sniffing around a lot of stuff. They were sniffing around Anunoby, and that would have been the positional need that I kept talking about. Like, I don't think they need centers, and I don't think they need a guard as urgently as they need another big wing. But ultimately, I don't really think they ever got close with Toronto, and the price would have had to include Kaminga and 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 above and beyond that too. I think it would have had to include all of them. I mean, I think it would have been well. Wiseman's, would have had to include, Wiseman's for sure. Well, yeah, in any deal. Yeah, Wiseman, Kaminga, Moody, some type of pick probably in there somewhere. I mean, that's you're basically giving them all up. Uh, Somehow, Sadiq Bay ended up going to Atlanta as part of all this. James Wiseman now plays for the Pistons, who have nine centers on their team again. Uh, but the last time they had nine centers on their team, they pivoted out of it. I, I don't know really what to think of the Warriors in the wake of this. What do you think of the Warriors in the wake of this? Well, I mean, I think what, what I what I think of the Warriors is that, as we've talked about at length, that Wiseman did not fit their timeline, right? Like, he did not, like, basically kind of, like, there was an expiration date of waiting for him. Um, and if they felt that the, the upside warranted holding on to, they would have. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I mean, it originally turned into a, what was reported, turned into a, from, went from a salary dump, right? Draft picks getting back to Gary Payton II, as you mentioned, another kind of smaller guard. Um, but... I mean, I give them credit because there are so many organizations that when you draft number, the number two pick in a draft, man, you're going to hold on for dear life and hopefully it eventually figures out. But what happened is that you're, you're, you'd be entering year four on an extension year and you become a free agent here. And um, I am a little surprised that he was, you know, he was traded um, just based on, cause you kind of heard that, hey, no, we're not trading. You're not trading Wiseman, you know, uh, you know, Joe Lake, Joe Lake on record here. And um, you bring back, you know, a guy, Gary Payton, who was probably looking for more than what his current contract is right now in Golden Golden State. Um, it's and, and got a nice number. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the Wiseman pick will turn out to be disappointing. Um, I do give him credit for kind of pivoting away from him. Yeah, I, I, I've been saying this all along, like, you can't be precious with him anymore. He's going into his fourth season. He's going to make $12 million next year. I understand he's barely played. He barely played in college, the whole thing. It's like it, at some point you just don't have time. Like this is this is Steph Curry's team, Steph Curry's time. You got to upgrade around Steph Curry. Um, I, I don't I, – they did. They did. And I, I keep waiting for this team to make a run because I do think they're going to. 
I think they're super dangerous. Um, they did not come out of this with the big, big splash. I think some people were were thinking about, but the other thing is money. Gary Payton makes what, like 80 a year or something. Yeah. Like eight, eight and change, right? Like three years, 27. I think that's what is what he got in Portland. Any acquisition of a big, big money player like OG and Obi would have raised serious questions over, well, we already got these other five dudes making huge amounts of money. Three of them are foundational, immortal players for us. Do we have to get rid of one of these guys? And who and who is it going to be? And with Anunoby, I always looked at it as he's a pretty mechanical offensive player. I wonder how much of a learning curve there would have been for him in the Steve Kerr read and react, everyone flying around offense. And the other thing that teams who looked at Ananobi um, and there were some strong offers for Ananobi. They, they also have to look at like, if he is not psyched about his role right now in Toronto as like the fourth option, I mean, the, most of the teams that want him, want him to play that same role. And so you have to run the risk of, was he going to be unhappy here, here and leave in a year? And we've traded a bunch of stuff for a guy who's out the door. Well, I mean, that's, and that's the other thing. I mean, and as we, as we've talked about, I mean, it could be a free agent in 2014 and, you know, what he did in Toronto, what he's done in Toronto, the system there. I mean, man, if you're giving up the farm and it doesn't work out, I mean, man, good, good luck. But from what I've told, basically half the league put in offers for him, you know, up in, in Toronto. Uh, and, and if, if Toronto, wanted to pivot away from him and take the best offer and basically kind of go into like a, a, like a bidding war. They could have done it, but I think, I think for the Raptors perspective, it's kind of, Hey, we know what's out there now. We're going to go into the off season. Maybe it gets a little bit better. Boy, if they could have gotten Kaminga and to be clear, I don't think the two, those two teams ever really got down to brass tacks. I just don't, I don't know why quite yet. We're just in the wake of this. But that would have been a piece I was I was interested in. If for, so, just for instance, I, I I've heard Memphis offer three first round picks for Anunoby, um, but but they Toronto made it clear to these teams like we want a player too, like a really good or potentially really good player. And I don't think that sort of player was on the table from their view, at least in Memphis, Indiana. I heard offered three first round picks and the Rockets second round pick, which I believe they own this in this coming draft, which is almost like another yeah. first round pick. But again. Yep the player chip wasn't there for Toronto. And so they, they moved to fight another day before we let you go and, and bring in Kevin Pelton to relieve you. Like Pe- Kevin Pelton's warming up in the bullpen. Like I know I've only, I've only gone four and two thirds and my pitch counts at a hundred. Sorry. Kevin Pelton's warming up in the bullpen, like Turk Wendell in 1999 for my beloved late nineties, early two thousands. And that's Turk Wendell with his shark tooth necklace. Remember that guy? Love that guy. Oh, I do. <laughs> oh, the good old days. I got to figure out who our ESPN Armando Benitez is. Someone I would never trust to th- to, to throw a strike if, <laughs> if his life depended on it. We're really getting in the weeds here. This is what happens on trade deadline day. I start thinking about Armando Benitez and John Franco and Turk Wendell and Dennis Cook. Cookie's coming in. Okay. The Clippers did not trade a first-round pick and did not trade Terrence Mann. Did trade – so let's just go. In comes Bones Highland. Eric Gordon, mercifully Eric Gordon, and Mason Plumley. God, I hate watching Mason Plumley play basketball. Reverse dunks for everybody. 
out <laughs> out goes Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, and John Wall. Luke Kennard goes to Memphis, which I think is a nice we didn't do the big thing, but we'll do a small thing and really just like if we're gonna get a player who's defensively is gonna be challenged for us, A, we believe in our infrastructure defensively around around him, and B, he's A plus plus at the one thing we're D plus plus at. So let's roll the dice. Second round picks bring in Luke Kennard. Did the Clippers get better? Like this is a revolving door of of six NBA Mad Libs names. Are they better? Are they different? Are they anything? Is what is this? This is the biggest year in the history of the Clippers franchise. This is year four of Kawhi and PG. Did they do enough? I think they did it. Did they do enough? What would have been enough? What would have been enough basically given everything and seeing if you can shake Fred Van Vliet from Toronto? They had no traction with Fred Van Vliet. Uh, I, no. I, I don't think it was ever, ever even close. It would have required man and the pick for sure. I don't even, I, I don't even think, I just don't think they were in the ballpark. I don't think Toronto yeah, really I mean, wanted to trade Fred Van Vliet, to be honest. No. And I think, I think once Conley went to Mike Conley went to Minnesota, um, you know, then your options, then your kind of options are limited here. Cause I know that, you know, that, that certainly was a guy that intrigued them a little bit here. And, um, Eric Gordon, he, he can win you a playoff game coming off the bench. I like Mason Plumley as a backup. I do too. Give I, me 15, I, I know 15 minutes. I, I, I know, I know you're going to see four screens a game and a, and, a, and, 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 you know, two for six in the free throw line. I know you're going to see it, but as a backup, not playing 35 minutes, um, you know, I, I, I'm fine with that. That's something, um, that's something at Bones Highland, you get a, you know, a guy on an inexpensive contract here, you know, basically Bones Highland is a very Clippers move in that they just find ways to pluck these players that are young and can help them for years to come. If they hit, there's always like this, if they hit. Yeah. I mean, in in the two guys that, you know, in the two point guards, I mean, they weren't part of the future. I mean, John wall has been a, the, you know, I guess a disaster, you know, just didn't work out and Reggie Jackson was going to be a free agent. So now you basically have kind of, you know, Terrence man, man in the point, you know, certainly Paul and Kawhi um, at times playing kind of, you know, the point forward here, but I like what they did. Um, you know, I, I think they've improved a little bit, but um, you know, I think a lot of it's just going to be about, you know, this, these, this, this group playing together here, you know, basically kind of, you know, the, the games they went on this, what this East coast trip, whether it be the Brooklyn game or the Knicks game, the game they lost in Milwaukee, there was still something about the, you know, there was like, I'm not ready to trust them. You know, the Dallas game um, the other night without uh, Luca, like, I just, I don't know if I can, I just can't trust this roster. It's funny you say that because I picked the Clippers to make the finals before the season. I did too. I did too. One every four games, they'll play a game where like the ball is just flying and Kawhi looks like Kawhi and Norm Powell has been sensational lately. He's scoring the ball and like defensively Nick Batum's front and centers and they're getting deflections they're getting their hands on balls and things like that. They're actually like remembering that they are allowed to score in transition and it looks amazing. Then they'll have games and this is the kind of game you're talking about. It's the kind of game that has been gnawing at my gut. Like the Milwaukee game, like their Philly game recently, like some other games, like the Dallas game last night, where they play pretty well and they don't win. And like, like 
I almost feel better when they play badly and they don't win because they just played badly. They've had a lot of games that have left me cold in the sense of like they actually kind of played clipperish, like what I want to say is is, is clipperish basketball, and they, and they just came up a little bit short against a good team. And it makes me think something's missing. And I, I don't. Eric Gordon and Mason Plumley help. They help for sure. They help. Um, it's just a matter of. I mean, what are they going to be? The three seed, four seed, five seed here. I mean, I mean, good luck running into that Denver team. Good luck. Uh, and Denver has their number, as I've said many yep, times. That is correct. Um, and. But Eric, so Plumley, it's the Plumley thing is interesting because, you know, all the focus has been on the Clippers need a point guard, and they love these centerless lineups that they've built their whole team to to other than Zubats, like in the non zoo Well, they didn't get a point guard, and they got a center who's got to play. Like you don't trade this stuff for Mason Plum, not that they traded a lot for him to for him to play, and he's he's kind of heart. Remember how Hartenstein's passing kind of in, invigorated their second unit. Plumley's a really good passer in the short roll. Too, and Gordon. I, Gordon. One of the things I like about Gordon is he defends up in size, up in position. In if you're going to switch a lot, he he's got the 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 heft and the strength and the tenacity to to jostle with bigger guys, and that fits in. He's a really good shooter, and he'll bulldoze to the rim. And they need a little bulldoze. They even they need more bulldozing to them. I I think they're better today than they were yesterday. I just don't know if they're better enough for me to shake that feeling like maybe it's just not going to happen, I, especially now with KD there. They're they're going to be interesting, really interesting. I, they got better. I just don't know how much better. No, they got better. I mean, I think every team basically out in the – I think every team in the Western Conference got, you know, you know, one way or another. You know who didn't get better? And I applaud them for um, it. And I applaud them for it. Sacramento. Yeah, I was like, the, I agree. the worst thing this team can do is get irrationally is go exu- all in, go all in, and yeah, I I agree. I think they kind of know who they are. I mean, they did a you know a cash deal, um, you know a mi- you know really minor deal, but they kind of really know who they you know who this roster is right now. All right, Bobby, you got to go. You got to go record other things. I got Kevin Pelton. Kevin Pelton is finished. The bullpen cart has gone out. To find Kevin Pelton. Do they still have bullpen cart? They no, they haven't had those in like 30 years. <laughs> Enter Sandman <laughs> is playing over the PA system and Kevin Pelton's he'll, gonna he'll give you a slow trot in. Come in and yeah, the slow I would I would walk if I were a relief pitcher. Like, hey man, I've been sitting out there eating sunflower seeds the whole game, talking to the fans. <laughs> it seems like the best job in baseball would be middle reliever. I get to sit in the bullpen. I get my own little separate yard over here. I get to talk to the fans. I might catch a home run ball. I got food. Seems great. Bobby Marks, thank you for all your help. And we will now bring in Kevin Pelton to wrap up trade deadline 2020. 2023. What did I say? 2020? Oh, my God. My brain is fried. Thanks, Bobby. Thank you. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes 
Hashtag vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. All right, fresh from the bullpen, Kevin Pelton has trotted into the infield. He's ready to go. I will start with you where I left off with Bobby. Um, what exactly did the Clippers do in your view? And are they are they better than they were yesterday um, with this this rigmarole of transactions? I mean, I feel like the the trade that clearly leaves them the best relative to all three of these is maybe the the Plumley addition. Is a I think like he's, as you've talked about on the pod, he's having a really terrific season. He fills a need for them. I mean, I don't know how much necessarily he'll play in the playoffs, but they haven't been very successful with these smaller lineups in the regular season, or at least have been able to get away with using them as much as maybe they intended to coming into this season, in part because Robert Covington hasn't played very well. So I think that one leaves them better. The the Gordon for Kennard swap, I'm a little uncertain about. And the Bones Highland move seems more slightly more like a long-term play to me. Just get someone who's oh, you know, sure. improved and you know has potential into that system. A system that doesn't necessarily have a ton of that. Uh before we we took well, I, I my take on the Clippers, I think they are better. you're you're hesitant on the Eric Gordon Luke Kennard thing. I mean, it, like Kennard is a really good shooter. And for the playoffs, I get it. It's hard to hide him defensively. Gordon's going to be much easier to fit into that scheme. But, uh, you know, Kennard is a really plus-plus shooter, and Gordon, the volume has been there in Houston, but the the percentage has not necessarily always been there. I like Kennard for the Grizzlies. It's not the kind of swing I wanted them to take because I, I think the playoffs will be tough for him, and him next to Ja is, is going to be flammable on defense, but they do have a good ecosystem to cover for him. How much do you like that? Does that make a difference in your Grizzlies projections? I don't think it makes a huge difference, but I, I also like it from that standpoint of, you know, you've been going on for a while about how they just need one more guy that you can count on. And, you know, I don't know if Kennard gets you all the way there, but I, I think relative to some of their younger wings, you know, LaRavia, uh, you know, and and I in Roddy, I think he's a little bit more reliable. We have seen him in a playoff setting. He did average almost 15 minutes a game for the Clippers in 2021, all the way to the conference finals. And again, this is someone like you have to account for at all times as a shooter. And the Grizzlies, that was obviously their weakness. They needed someone like that. Yeah, and extending the wing rotation is is good. Um, the Grizzlies are are tough. Um, just. Before we move on to trades that I haven't talked about since I have not had you yet, um, what is your what is your headline reaction to Durant to Phoenix? 
I mean, I, I the the Suns are all in, and this is a reasonable hand to go all in with because I, I think one of my big takeaways from this season is I was always kind of skeptical of this idea that okay, the the Suns can contend now. And then also they've got this young core that is going to be contenders after Chris Paul is gone. And I think that the way that Aiden has kind of stagnated his development this season, you know, Mikhail Bridges has seen his efficiency suffer, having to create a lot more of his own offense with Paul and Booker out of the lineup. That suggested to me that idea is not realistic, no matter how good Devin Booker is and some of their young talent. So I think that to me was a compelling argument to focus on. Let's win right now while Chris Paul is still in this period. I mean, the the other option, you know, that we talked about the last time I was on the pod was if they had gone for a younger po- option at point guard, that could have made sense. But you know, if Kevin Durant's out there. Uh, I th- I think you you move heaven and earth for him. This is why Brooklyn went through everything they went through the past four years because Kevin Durant is worth it. Yeah, there was part. I th- didn't Woj report in his story that they were sniffing around a John Collins deal, Phoenix. Sounds right. There was part of me that was like, that's such a lower risk, long term wise, um, in terms of the picks and stuff. Young players you're going to have to give up, and I actually think the Suns were sneakily playing pretty well since Chris Paul's return to the point that you could see them with like Chris, Devin, McHale, Cam Johnson, Aiton, and like a a player like John Collins, like maybe that's, maybe that's actually good enough to get where they want to go. They concluded it's not. And, and when you look at sort of what other teams did to beef up, and I know some of the teams did that to react to their acquisition of Durant. um, It's hard to blame them for saying we'd actually need a higher upside talent. Uh, let's talk about one of your specialties in the Pacific Northwest, the Portland Trailblazers, who I I kind of feel like straddled the line between between buying and selling, so to speak. Um, they acquired Matisse Thybul, Cam Reddish, a lottery-protected New York Knicks pick that becomes how many second-round picks? Four, I think, if, it's four, a, yeah. if it doesn't convey Which, this if year. It's, if it's not five, it may as well be zero. And a million second-round picks also from Golden State, uh, via Golden State, this whole triumvirate of teams. And out went Josh Hart. I think getting a first-round pick, even if it may not end up being a first-round pick for Josh Hart, is good business. And Gary Payton the second. Um, We were looking for a little bit of a tell from Portland in terms of what it would be trying to accomplish in the next year or two with Damian Lillard entering his almost mid, th- no, he's 32. I don't want to say mid thirties. Cause that means I'm in my mid everything's. <laughs> um, what was your take on this sort of split the baby strategy by them? I do think it's definitely more of a long-term focused strategy for them. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because you were piecing it together along the way. I, I felt one thing about the thigh ball trade, when it was just him kind of replacing Josh Hart. And then the logic kind of changed when it's, no, it's actually him replacing Gary Payton II, which, you know, makes sense from the standpoint that they have very similar skill sets, particularly at the defensive end of the court. And Thibel is much younger. I mean, that's the other piece of this besides the draft compensation that they got is, you know, Hart is Hart is still reasonably young, but GP two, despite being recently established in this league, is is you know I think thirty, and and Thibel was much younger. So you are looking forward there. Nasir Little is going to be very much in the mix for them on the wing. He's played well since coming back from injury. I think he's ready to hold a starting spot there. Even though I think GP two, I think got the start last night when they pulled Hart off the court right before a, a tip off against the Warriors. Oddly enough, 
But, you know, I think they have enough there. The other guy that becomes more important with these trades that we haven't seen in over a month now is Justice Winslow, because they really need his playmaking with that second unit, especially when it's Anthony Simons at point guard instead of Damian Lillard. They just need a little more, you know, creativity with that second unit. And Winslow provided it before he got injured. GP2 has provided it since he came back, but they need for sure one of those two guys. It's it's pretty artful what they're doing, trying to just bit by bit pick up some stuff that serves them well in not a post-Dame world, but just like the next half decade world, like long-term, medium-term thinking, but still in Thibel particularly, and I don't think Hart and Peyton are like defining players on their team. It's not like dude, you look at them and like, well, they're taking a big step back. Thibel, Reddish, like they get a little younger, but these guys have played in the NBA, not recently in Reddish's case. And and maybe you don't hurt your present all that much at all. And they they seem content to just sort of straddle that line and hope somehow to catch lightning in a bottle in the next two or three seasons with Dame. Like maybe Sharp pops. Maybe Simons, who's already popped a little bit, pops a lot. Maybe um, maybe there's a crazy trade that falls into their lap or they hit a home run in the draft. But it, it seems like they're almost trying for the JV version of like the 2011 Mavs where you just hang in, hang in, hang in, hang in, and like everything breaks right in one year. But those Mavericks teams are obviously way better previously to 2011 than the current Blazers teams. I just... I, I say this because KP, I, I don't know about you. I heard nothing about Simons and I heard nothing about Sharp. I heard no evidence that any part of the Blazers was like, we have to accelerate our timetable to try to win with older veterans or prime age veterans around Damian Lillard. Yeah, it was nothing like the sort of trades that we talked about last week on this podcast. I mean, you know, I think the one interesting question I had about Portland's moves is, I, I had them when we did our mock off season on the dunked on podcast and the guy I really identified as my target in a Josh Hart trade was funny enough, Sadiq Bay, who ended up involved in a trade that they were in. And you look at the structure of it. It seems that just as easily it could have been a three team trade between Detroit, Golden State and Portland, leave Atlanta out of it entirely. And therefore the, the Blazers end up with Sadiq Bay instead of all those second round picks. I mean, he's someone who gives them a little more size on the wing than even Thibel. Cam Reddish does do that, but uh, I'm a little more confident in Bay as a, as a shooter and just an all around contributor that I am in, in Cam Reddish at this point. And he's got that very low salary for next season, which is, you know, deal with their luxury tax concerns. So, you know, whether that was an option and how strongly they kick that around is something I'd be curious to know. If you were the Warriors, would you rather have Bay or Gary Payton the second? I I understand why they took GP too. Bay would have been a lot bigger savings. He's a better shooter. He gives them a he gives them a slightly different, you know, more size relative to Dante DiVincenzo this year. I mean, I think a lot of the GP trade two trade was them recognizing that they're going to have a tough time re-signing Dante DiVincenzo next year, just using the taxpayer mid-level exception. So get out ahead of That's that a, a little bit. But uh, you know, I I it, I, I could see the argument for them to to get Bay as well. It's just much clearer in my case, in my mind, in Portland's case, because they didn't end up with a player at all. I, I guess they did in Kevin Knox, I should say. Yeah, Kevin Knox. I forgot about Kevin Knox. There's a lot of guys. There's like a lot of guys got traded. <laughs> it's like we're gonna we're gonna forget them. 
Uh, Sadiq Bey is wrapping up his third year, so he will be extension eligible after this season. His new contract, whatever it is, will not kick in until uh, 24-25, um, where, so that's where the cost pain comes. Until next year, he'd, he'd be pretty cheap, relatively speaking, for the Warriors. I think I'd rather have Sadiq Bey than Gary Payton II. And I know I don't have the same long-term cost certainty I have with Gary Payton II. Am I crazy? I just feel like that they need that size more than they need another guard. And I say that knowing we've seen GP two work for their work for their team. I think I'd rather have Sadiq Bay. Uh, not at all. And I, I think part of it is my belief in Sadiq Bay as a shooter. Uh, you know, one thing I looked at in the the trade grades analysis is you look at the the shot quality that he's gotten in Detroit compared to I picked DeAndre Hunter in Atlanta as someone who, you know, presumably is going to get similar shot attempts to what what Bay will there. And it's like it's like a 1.5% difference in three-point percentage just based on the quality of the three-point attempts they're getting. That takes Sadiq Bay right there to league average. And I still think he's a little bit better shot maker than we've seen the last two years when you look at his Villanova track record in his first season in the NBA. Um, what do you think of Josh Hart's fit in New York and the and what they gave up for him? Again, a Lottery protected New York pick, not one of the many extra picks they own from other teams, their own pick this year. But if it's in the lottery, they keep it. And in that case, they go four seconds to uh, Portland. And so that that one, that's a pick there's going to be some suspense over um, whether it, it conveys or not. Uh, what do you think of Hart's fit with the Knicks? Well, second consecutive year, the Blazers have had some suspense over a pick like this. If you go back That's to the right. New Orleans one last year. Yeah, I, I like the structure of a deal, a deal like this because it's actually kind of the opposite of the McCollum trade. Like the better, the more he helped the Pelicans, the worse the return was for the Blazers. Here, if Josh Hart helps the Knicks get to the playoffs, the Blazers get a first round pick. If not, they get the seconds. That that kind of makes sense is more of almost like a, you know, a baseball or an NFL style conditional draft pick that isn't technically allowed in the NBA. Uh, I, I mean, the, you know, the odds are if they do get that first round pick, which I think they probably will. You know, the Knicks are a comfortable. Yeah, favorite you said to make the, 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 the Knicks are projected pretty favorably, right, to to be in the playoffs, whether it's top six or through the play in. Yeah, BPI had them up to 94% after this trade. That was before wow. all the other stuff went down. So I don't know if that's changed a little bit since then. But uh, and and if they do get it, you know, it's probably going to be in the teens. We're not talking about, you know, pick 28 is a realistic possibility. So I think that's why, you know, the value made sense for Portland's standpoint. From New York, I initially did not like it at all because it seems like they're pretty well set on the wing with, you know, Grimes, Barrett, and Emmanuel Quickly. And one of my strongest takes is that Emmanuel Quickly is just a really good basketball player. Good things always seem to happen when he's on the court. And this year you can't use the argument that, oh, well, of course they do. The Knicks, you know, reserves are all really good and their their starting lineup is relatively much weaker. So all their starters look good in terms of net plus minus. This year it's really just quickly when he's on the court. Yeah, he's been he's been awesome. I mean, awesome. A defensive demon getting around screens, getting deflections. He moves without the ball on offense. That was my concern on Hart to the Knicks. I love Josh Hart. I think he's a really good player. Um, the Knicks have a pretty tight nine-man rotation. My guess is he would just take Deuce McBride's minutes as the ninth man. Um, he does give you a little bit more positional flexibility if you want to play more wings at the same time. Uh, the Knicks are, are a pretty orthodox rotational team under Tom Thibodeau, so I'm not sure how much they'll do that. I guess he gives you some 
you know, he's got that funky contract next year that's a a, a player option, but then becomes non guaranteed if he picks it up. So who knows if he'd be on the team if he is? Because he gives you some insurance with like the Obi Toppin, Emmanuel quickly extension talk, so he doesn't play the same position as those guys. I'm just a little curious about the fit because to give up a first, even if it ends up being 18, 19, 20, or four seconds, I want a little bit more clarity on the fit. And because he's just become so three-point phobic, although in the last week or two, someone's clearly told him, dude, you got to shoot. The Knicks are not a really good three-point shooting team already. You know, they play Barrett, Randall, and a traditional center together a lot. And I I don't know how Hart really – Hard, they can't afford another non-shooter really plopping into those groups. So I'm a little, I'm a big Josh Hart fan, but I'm a little, I, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. He's, a, he's a, What he is is a basketball player. So like basketball players tend to find ways to make things work. He's high IQ. He's a good screener. He's, he looks like Draymond lately with like dribble handoffs and stuff because nobody's guarding him. So he'll probably find a way to, make, way to make it work. I am curious though about, about the fit. Yeah, I think we're in a similar position about this one. I really didn't like it at first and then kind of talked myself into it a little more because, you know, if you can carve a few minutes out from that spot, uh, the other aspect of it is New York's defensive rebounding has been a weakness last this season after being a strength last season. Hart's going to help there. And it particularly has come when Quentin Grimes has been on the bench, which is presumably when you're going to be playing Hart. Hart is maybe the best rebounding guard in the whole league and the epitome of if you want the ball, go get the ball (laughs) because when he gets rebounds, sometimes he doesn't pass and he'll go coast to coast ahead of everyone else in the game and just be like, all right, I'm taking it all the way. It's my shot attempts. Um, another little trade that I haven't talked about yet. Uh, Philly. This one snuck under the radar. I kind of like the Jalen McDaniels move for them, snagging him from Charlotte um, for seconds, I think, in a three-team trade. Um, Not a big name. He's Jaden McDaniels' brother. Jaden is the bigger name in Minnesota. Only shooting 32% from three. Is an unrestricted free agent after this year for a team that, if Harden comes back at whatever price, is going to be already right up against the tax. So maybe they don't end up keeping him at all. Um Maybe if some things happen and they do end up keeping him. I kind of like that as a swing for them. Um, it, it it effectively cost them Thibel because they wanted to get under the tax. Uh, what do you think of that? Is this just a not a nothing burger to you, or is this a something burger? I, I liked it in terms of look, we we know what Matisse Thibel is in Philadelphia. The the difficulty of the fit with his non shooting, and the fact that his role has been much smaller this season. So I thought it made sense for them to grab value for him now while they can. And I thought Jalen Daniels was you know a, a good target at the trade deadline. It, to me, he especially made sense if you were a team that's planning to use cap space because he's got that minimum cap hold next summer that you could use to re-sign him and then go over the cap. Like if the Lakers had you know, gone in a very different direction and they had acquired him instead of Rui Hachimura, he wouldn't have cut into their cap space almost at all. And I think has been, frankly, a more productive player uh, this season than Rui has been, although Rui's playing better with this, perked up with the Lakers, certainly. Uh, In Philadelphia, you know, we'll see how much they use him. It's a slightly different defensive style than the guys they have. They have so many of those linebackers, Houston style with Daniel House Jr. and, and P.J. Tucker. Jalen Daniels is different than that. He's he's all length at the defensive end of the. So I think there's probably going to be 
a matchup along the way where the guy is, you know, a little bit too big for D'Anthony Melton, but maybe too quick for those Tucker and, and house types. And you're going to want to put Jalen McDaniels on them. And even though he's not a great three point shooter, he's certainly a much more willing one than Thibel. So it doesn't gum up the offense nearly as much. I just lost belief in Thibel as a fit in Philadelphia. I just, I just, I, the numbers actually say they've been good when he's been on the floor this year. I just, it's hard to play a center, whether he's operating from the post or the nail and a, a complete zero shooter. And he's not even a zero shooter. He just doesn't want to shoot very much. And he's often not at the three point arc at all. And he's just not that comfortable with the ball. I just didn't buy it. And at least this is something that I could buy. Um, man, I really want to trust the Sixers, Kevin. I really want to trust the Sixers. And I think Jalen McDaniels will help them. I've said all season, I we talk about them on, uh, on at ESPN like they're some cute little ambitious pseudo contender compared to the Celtics and the Bucks. Like there's a big two. And then there's Philly. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's pretty cute. And I'm like, why, why can't they be as good as those teams? And – you know they're now bringing Maxi off the bench. That's interesting. Um, they they made a small little trade today. They still have to figure out the backup center thing. I guess we'll see who becomes available for them. Um, I I like the lineups they're playing, experimenting with the three guard lineups with Embiid on the floor. I do not like these. Do not like. Do not like sitting Embiid and Harden at the same time. Do not like dislike hard dislike. And and then they they just have a a way of of making me not trust them in the end like that loss against Boston without half its team and a lot of its starters last night there are a lot of possessions you watch Embiid there are a lot of possessions where he doesn't get the ball and he kind of slumps his shoulders and slinks over to the corner and lets Harden cook there's still a lot of those I, I Harden has deferred to him it has been Joel's team he's playing out of his mind when he plays well like when he rolled over Jokic a couple weeks ago I don't know, man. Sometimes once once every couple of weeks they play a game that's like, oh my god, this makes me worried. But I, on paper, on talent, they should have a shot. Look, the answer is it's been all season. It's like there's nothing they can do in the regular season to really prove that they're at that Boston and Milwaukee level because those teams have done it in the playoffs in a way that Philadelphia, in part because of Joel Embiid's postseason injuries, just hasn't. And you know, I. We just won't be able to know for sure until we see it on the court in the postseason. But I, I agree that it's not a, a giant gap between those top two. And I think, you know, one of the outcomes of today, those three teams made trades. You look at four through seven in the East, you know, Miami made a trade to to dump Dwayne Dedman earlier in the week, and maybe that'll help them in the buyout market. New York was the only one of those teams, though, that made an addition to help them win in the playoffs. It seems to me to increase the gap between the top three in the East and everyone else. Yep, I, I said exactly the same thing on NBA today. The gap between the top three and the rest of the East widened. We I, thank you for reminding me to talk about um, Jay Crowder uh, and the Philly. The Philly thing. We're sleeping on what's at stake for the Sixers this year, and we're sleeping on Chris Middleton's player option for next year. Those are two topics that haven't been discussed enough in terms of the the implications of what a a, a postseason failure might be for some teams. Philly, like James Harden can be a free agent. If they lose earlier than they want and something happens with him, 
the implications of that could let, let's put it this way. There are teams around the league who are rooting for that scenario because they know the big fella will look around and maybe think, "Uh Oh, this kind of went haywire. On, on the other hand, like, it's not like Ben Simmons would be helping their team right now. Well, yes, it's uh, it's tough to look back on that one from a year ago and, and how it has not gone the way that the Nets hoped thus far. I mean, I you know, the scenario is we talked about Jalen McDaniel's low cap hold if you were a cap space team. If Harden leaves, you probably try to move Tobias Harris and then become a cap space team. I don't know who you're targeting, Fred Van Fleet, I guess, at that point, but uh, Kyrie. <laughs> I don't know about that one, but that's that's an interesting like somewhere deep in the recesses of the Sixers training facility. There's a, a whiteboard where they have sketched out what the plan is for that scenario, and and Jalen McDaniel's cap hold figures into it. Way back in the preseason, I said keep an eye on the Bucks for Jay Crowder. They finally got Jay Crowder. The longest courtship in the history of NBA role players has ended. Jay Crowder is a buck in exchange for Jordan Awara, George Hill, Serge Ibaka, and five second-round picks. Five is the number everyone has settled on for the number of second-round picks that gets a deal done and also sounds totally ridiculous when you say it out loud. It's a perfect amount of second-round picks. Um, what do you think of Jay Crowder's fit with the Bucks? I mean, I, I think especially with Chris Middleton coming back and looking good recently in his limited minutes and, and Joe Ingles giving them some contribution off the bench, that their their needs were less offensive than they maybe looked like early in the season when they were struggling at that end. And Giannis was just carrying way too large a load. And you could see it, in, it reflected in his offensive efficiency. Uh, so then you go back to kind of what we anticipated about them since the PJ Tucker trade, which is they were kind of still one switchable defender who allowed them to play Giannis at center short. And Jay Crowder is, you know, maybe not as physical a defender as PJ Tucker. I don't know if anyone, just about anyone is, but uh, he's close to that mold. Certainly the closest thing they've had since, uh, with, with all due respect to Shemi Ojale. Oh God, don't <laughs> don't remind me that I thought Shemi Ojale was going to was going to be the surprise player of last season. Just last season, just a year ago. It feels so long. Yeah, I think, I mean, Bobby Portis, I think, is coming back soon. So Milwaukee's need for another traditional four is going to get a little bit less with, with him back. But with, when Giannis has been sitting in the interim, they've been playing four guards a lot. And so Crowder will beef that up. And he just gives them more lineup flexibility, more heft, the, the same P.J. Tucker kind of piece that we've talked about. His shooting is the most wild variable in the NBA. Like sometimes Jay Crowder will make, will go five of seven from three and then he'll go like, has he made one in three weeks? But I just don't think this one can hurt. He gives them some lineup versatility and toughness. And at heart, this is really a team that wins ugly. It wins by beating the crap out of you. And I don't know. They were my pick to win the title this year. It, it feels like, knock on wood, if Chris Middleton can stay healthy and he's had a couple really good games in the last 10 days and looked a little bit more like himself. Drew Holiday has been great all year. Giannis is Giannis. Like, they, they, have an, they have enough, I think. Even I think Javon Carter has earned Mike Budenholzer's trust there as a rotation, just the pest who's shooting tons of threes. 
Well, it was Javon Carter every game takes two shots. Where I'm like, he's allowed to do that? Like, can I can I sign up? Can I sign with the Bucks and just jack threes? And it's, it's great. Like, like that's good. the problem with Joe, Javon Carter is like you have to shoot those to keep defenses honest. Like I was I was really pleased with how he took two of them against Portland the other night, and I was like, man, those are quick trigger three points. Oh, he'll just dribble up in transition with nobody under the rim and jack them like he's Steph Curry or something. Um, what's your epitaph for the Brooklyn Nets? I, I mean, they're going to be the greatest, one of the greatest what if franchises in NBA history. It goes that goes up with you know like, unfortunately, a, a number of injuries for the Blazers. You look at the uh, you know that Brandon Roy, Greg, Greg Oden era squad. Uh, Orlando, if they had been able to keep Shaq and Penny together, is got to be one of the great what if teams. I mean, the the injuries in that Milwaukee series, starting with Kyrie at the end of, I believe that was game three, right? When they had a chance to go up 3 nothing in that series and claim what would have probably been an insurmountable lead. That was the rock fight game. That was an ugly, ugly game. Yeah, and it just every time it seemed like things were going right, something new cropped up. And last week, obviously with Kyrie's trade request is the ultimate example of that. But, uh, you know, I think that Kevin Durant going immediately from one team with where, you know, previously he had had two all NBA caliber guards to another team where he has two all NBA caliber guards is, is proof that whatever happens, the super team concept is not going anywhere. No, everyone writes the super team obit and the big three obit. I'm like, teams are always going to fall over themselves to get stars because in the end you need stars to win. There are different kinds of team construction. Sometimes you need two. Sometimes you need one and a bunch of really, really good players. Sometimes chemistry can overcome a talent deficit. Um, yeah, they're, I've called them many times the greatest theoretical team in the history of the NBA. It's still mind-boggling that Harden, Kyrie, and KD – played 16 games together and they looked just outrageously good in those 16 games. And I mean, then speaking it, of, it was just last season, the game they won in Chicago where they just blew the doors off the bulls, which in hindsight may have told us something about the bulls as well as the nets, but that's one of those moments where it's like, okay, everything's coming together. And like less than a month later, James Harden was a sixer. Here's the question I've been pondering about the Nets in the last 24 hours, though, when I've had some time to think because I haven't been writing. Uh, if they had you know, not signed KD and Kyrie in the first place, if we unwind all of this to July 2019 and played out the last four years with them deciding to pass on that based on what, what was coming. Would they be in a better position than they are right now? I mean, obviously they'd have their own, they'd probably have their own draft picks that uh, now Houston has many of them, but they've got a lot of draft picks coming from Phoenix and they have kind of a sneaky, fascinating roster right now with like all the three and D wings in the league somehow accumulated on this one roster. And, uh, you know, maybe Cam Thomas is going to be the the shot creating star they need to lead them you to know, glory. I think Cam Thomas is legit. Like this could be, I don't want to say Lin Sanity 2.0, but um, I think he's legit. He's always been able to score. Now he's getting an opportunity to like, dude, we don't have anybody else that could really do this. You want to just do it? And he's doing it pretty efficiently. The question is is going to be, can he do it in a secondary role? Can he do it in an off-ball role? Can he do it in a spot-up role? But I don't think the scoring is super fluky with him. I mean, the 40 points is fluky, obviously, but I think I think he can score. Like, I don't... I, I think they played tonight. So for all I know, as we're recording this, he's like two for two for 20 and stinking up the joint. But I think he's a real player. KD certainly thought he was a real player. 
Look, we know one of those games is coming eventually, uh, possibly on national television if it's this one. But uh, let's see. Oh, oh, six to start it and scoreless. So well well on its way to that kind of rose. But look, I, if people that watched him at, at LSU, and, and then I've talked to some people who watched him even going back to his high school days, like this guy got buckets like no one else. Now, he didn't necessarily do a whole lot, which made him quite a fascinating prospect because you don't usually see guys like that in the NBA anymore, at, at least not at shooting guard. Uh, it's kind of an Allen Houston 90s archetype or to go back to some of the 80s small forwards where it was you know, just basically, I'm going to get my 25, you get your 25, we'll all be good. Uh, Allen Houston, the king of like the 21-1-1 stat line. Um yeah, I, that's a fascinating counterfactual. Would the Nets be better off? I mean, I, I opened this podcast with Bobby saying that I will always believe that if they had their druthers, they just would have signed Durant and not Kyrie. But they came as a package, so they got the package. And then once they got Harden, I think if I think they would have, if they had their druthers, that like what's the best version of our team? I think they could have flipped Kyrie for lots of stuff if they had to go ahead to do it and sort of round out the depth around KD and Harden, which really makes sense as a duo. But when they had the, the thing is like, laugh at them all you want. When they had those three guys, they had built a team that was going to be the undisputed championship favorite just last season. And it just, it, it never came to be just never came to be. And maybe it was inevitable. Maybe there was always going to be something with Kyrie. Maybe the health issues would have popped up, but they were that good. They were, they were a legit superstar complimentary big three with enough around them that they could, they, they, I, they were, I picked them to win the title last year and I didn't think twice about it before, no. before, before everything. <laughs> before gestures broadly and all of this. I, I hope people will remember that moment after game two of the Milwaukee Brooklyn series. Cause as much as I talked about at the end of game three and the chance to go up three, nothing, it was game two. They blew out Milwaukee looked completely unbeatable. People were wondering who was going to be the bucks next coach after Mike Budenholzer and, and Harden was out there. Uh, yeah. Harden was out that game. Yeah. He, he went out in game one. Yeah. They did it without Harden. So truly a, a, a great, what if, is there an under the radar trade that you really liked or didn't like, or a team that was inactive that puzzled you, but in their inactivity, is there anything we haven't hit that you really want to hit? I mean, Cleveland is maybe the most interesting inactive team to me in terms of, look, this is a team that by point differential is a contender in the Eastern conference. Didn't have a lot to upgrade. And I, I think probably their, their question was, you know, is whatever we're going to get, get going to be that much better for us than presumably Karis Levert is the the salary going out in that kind of trade. Like the, you know, the Levert for Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, I don't idea. think they ever wanted to do that. I don't think yeah. that was a thing. Never, never made much sense to me. That that's not solving your problem of needing a more three and D type player in that role. And, and I, you know, I was really impressed when I, I saw them play down in Portland. Levert took on the challenge of defending Damian Lillard late in that game and was shockingly good in that role. So, you know, if that's, he doesn't necessarily have the size to do that in every matchup against the threes that you're going to face. But if he can provide that, it becomes a lot easier to finish games with him in that spot. JB Bickerstaff deserves some coach of the year love for this. And the players deserve a lot of credit for it too. And I've written about this in 10 things. Their perimeter players have been defending their asses off all year, and none of them, except Okoro and to a lesser degree Rubio, who hasn't played much, 
had a reputation as guys who really def- were plus defenders. In fact, Donovan Mitchell was coming off a postseason run in which his defense was sort of a national stage humiliation for him. They're denying the ball. They're getting around screens. They're switching seamlessly. They're flying diagonally across the floor in rotation. And that's a credit to them. And that's a credit to the coaches, coaches who have clearly said, this is what this is what you have to do. Their defense is not just Mobley and Allen. It's most importantly Mobley and Allen, who are incredible. And Mobley in the last month has had some moments on offense where you're like, uh oh, it's starting to it's starting to happen for Evan Mobley. It's it's the guards too. And I also wonder if Isaac what Isaac Okoro has done in the last three weeks. I, I never know how a team should react to that, but he has looked kind of like a different player in the last three weeks, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously there was a period of time where I think he was hitting over 50% of his threes in a stretch, and like he's not going to do that. But the point is, even if he's not going to keep doing that, he's probably going to shoot better than he has been before. So, you know, even if he can get up to that, you know, 35, 36, 37% range, that's a that's a meaningful different difference and makes it a lot easier to keep him on the court in a playoff setting. What a what a what a what a 90 so out of however many hours. What a six days it's been in the NBA, starting from the Kyrie news that he wanted out all the way to now. Just a wild, a wild week. Really wild. Who's the favorite to win the title now? According to your according to your according to either your brain or your numbers or both. I've not looked at any of my own projections yet uh, as yet. I, I'm still probably gonna go Boston, but uh you know Phoenix has made an interesting case in the Western Conference. I mean, I think that's the other aspect of this why the Suns would go in on all in on this now is, you know, look, I think we can go too far with the not being scared of teams thing because you cannot not be scared your way into a four nothing sweep. If you're like the Nets last year, I don't know that they were scared of the Celtics and that didn't really help them. But (laughs) I think the, the, the fact that the Nuggets don't necessarily inspire the same fear that the Warriors would have if they were the team leading the West by four and a half games right now, I think is a factor in Phoenix being so aggressive. And I, hmm. I think the Suns, in my opinion, are probably the favorites in the Western Conference. I like I like how they match up with Denver. You, why? Do, what do you like about how they match up with Denver? Their ability to attack Jokic in the pick and roll with so many so much jump shooting. Yep. I mean, the look, they're, they're not going to make as many mid-rangers as they did in that 2021 series. And Denver is going to have, you know, better point of attack defense and just a lot more offensive weapons than they had in that one with Jamal Murray not in the lineup. But, uh, you know, still, you look at Jokic's weaknesses, a, a bunch of guys who can make mid-range shots off the dribble seem to line up pretty well with that. I think Denver has been training for a series like that all year in how they've switched up their defense from game to game and quarter to quarter. I think if that series happened, we would see some interesting stuff. Like we would see Jokic maybe on Torrey Craig sometimes, and maybe they try. I mean, the problem is you can't put Aaron Gordon on Aiton because you need Aaron Gordon on Durant. Maybe you put Michael Porter on Aiton. I don't know. Maybe you try. For, you can't play zone against him either. And obviously you could just use Torrey Craig as the, scre- the screener if Jokic is there. They try to, you know, uh, do the the old Brook Lopez switch where you, you see the pick and roll come in and you switch him out of it. While he's on his way up, um, their depth doesn't concern you at all. Not that much because I feel like the guys that I I, I could have used them to add one more guard. I think that would have been useful because well, Chris Chris Haynes, Chris Haynes reported that they they may they may be in on Reggie Jackson 
Does that that helps? No, I don't know. I don't know if that moves the needle for me. I mean, you know, he's he's an upgrade from from the minutes they were getting from Dwayne Washington Jr. earlier this year. But uh, I, yeah, I, that would be the one thing that concerns me about their depth. But to me, the guys who played in the front court, like Tory Craig, is it's been great. You know, he's a useful role player, and you know they got they got by without Cam Johnson a lot of this season without anything from Jay Crowder. So you're not going to miss those two guys to the same degree you would if they had been in the lineup every night. And I think getting TJ Warren in the steal is a sneaky, huge part of it. He's been pretty good for Brooklyn can sop up a lot of those minutes. I mean, I think there's a world where you could finish games at times with Durant at five Warren and Craig as your forwards and Booker and CP as your backcourt. That's a, that's a pretty tough lineup to guard. Kevin Pelton has grades up. For every trade, anyone Not get a yet. D? I, I, oh, I still got more. What do, what do we still got to do? Oh, I think I still have like six left. Do you gotta grade day. all of them? Do you really? Can't you just just be like this trade happened? I well, graded. I graded as it occurred. Like it doesn't I, need a grade. If I graded that Kessler Edwards to a Sacramento trade, I'm going for completeness. I I honestly forgot. I forgot that that happened. Thank you for reminding me that Kessler <laughs> Edwards is. I, I think is he still on the Kings? Did they waive him? Well, they didn't trade for anyone else. So I think they're gonna keep him. All right, Kevin Pelton, thank you, sir, for rounding out this podcast. Hey, look, everybody, this was a crazy, crazy trade deadline. We just went a little over 90 minutes. There's going to be more to do. If we didn't hit your team in the depth that you think we should have hit it, that was probably on purpose. We barely talked about Toronto, mostly standing pat. We barely talked about other teams that did a little Chicago, mostly standing pat. We will have time to get to those. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the weekend. Kevin Pelton, thank you, sir. 